Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there's some madness to my method in asking that the text be um, only from the Gospel of John in these three different chapters, as you'll see this morning. Um, and maybe you heard a refrain in there. I hear a refrain all the time in there because when I was growing up and we attended an Assembly of God church, the only sermon I remember from the pastor wasn't from the pastor, it was from his mother. His mother preached one morning and it's the only sermon I remember as a little child in that church because she said over and over again, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. She said it over and over again. And I remember, I can hear her voice in my head and I know what point she was making. I think it was a bit like what we saw yesterday. We were on the Queen Mary and we toured the Princess Di exhibit and then we saw that, um, that Princess Di once said to the folks, uh, well, I've done my duty, I've produced an error and I have produced um, a spare. <laughs> one is William and one is Harry. And so, um, or maybe it's like uh, Lillian Carter. After her um, son, Jimmy, was elected to pr the presidency, uh, she was asked, uh, aren't you proud of your son? And she said, which one? I mean, let's take a look at this uh, text in, in John's Gospel, these, these three chapters, and see what, what, what this uh, pastor's mother was really getting at, and maybe what's implied in, in Princess Di's comment and and in Lillian Carter's comment. And in chapter one of John, John the baptizer has uh, prepared uh, Philip and Andrew when he announced uh, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one. And so they followed and they asked Jesus, um, or Jesus asked them, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, what are you seeking? And notice that they didn't reply something like, um, well Jesus, what about those people who haven't heard the gospel? Or uh, why do bad things happen to good people? They simply said, where are you staying? In other words, uh, we'd like to talk with you. We'd like to get to know you. Where can we be with you for a little bit? Now we know from the text that this was about 4 p.m., 4 in the afternoon. So it's probably the case that they spent all night with Jesus, just talking with him. Because then we're also told that the next morning, the next morning, Andrew hurries to find his brother, Simon, to introduce him to Jesus, even though he probably knew before Jesus gave Simon the nickname Petra, Rocky, even though he probably knew that his brother, the extrovert, is gonna get all the credit down the, down the pike. In light, of, uh, in light of what Peter's role will be in the book of Acts, an Anglican bishop once said this about Andrew. What Andrew did is perhaps as great a service to the church as ever any person did. I mean, it is amazing. I mean, it, here, here's the guy who should get all the credit. Here's the guy who should get slapped on the back and say, good job. And Jesus instead turns to his brother Simon and says, you rock. But, but that's Andrew. That's Andrew for you. In fact, each time we meet Andrew in John's account of the gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And that's why we read these three accounts. 
Andrew continues to appear in John's gospel as the one who, who introduces to Jesus the resources and, and the interests of other people. For instance, in, in John 6, it's the time of the Passover feast, we're told in this text, and when everybody would be reminded of the time that God provided for the Israelites manna in the wilderness. And you remember the story, and Moses uh, you know, says, where, where am I gonna get any meat to feed all these people? And even when God provides, the people say, manna, which literally means, what is this? It's a, it's a bit of a complaint itself. Uh, and, and so here the disciples, they aren't much different than those folks. And they don't understand that Jesus is going to provide not only bread, but down the pike, when he becomes the Passover feast himself, he will provide the bread of life. The disciples, they don't understand. They don't understand that in, in their midst is the bread of heaven right now. Like Jesus' disciples, Philip, uh, you know, when Jesus asks, okay, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these folks? Philip's, Philip does some mental mathematical calculations. And, and he realizes the impossibility of the situation. Apparently, the disciples didn't have eight months worth of a day laborer's wage to cater in a meal for 5,000 men not, and all the women and children besides. So Philip, he doesn't know. And that's typical of Jesus' disciples, isn't it? I mean, they're eh, kind of hard-headed. I mean, James and John don't get it. They didn't get it when Jesus asked, uh, can, when they asked Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left hand? Peter didn't get it when he told Jesus, yeah, you're the Messiah, so you shouldn't go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And it does seem that a lot of the disciples didn't get it when they were puzzled, how can a, why can't a rich man get into the kingdom of heaven? Andrew gets it. Andrew gets it. I mean, uh, he brings a lad. It's interesting, in the, in the Greek, that word for, for lad, or it, it really means a very small boy. In other words, he is a powerless player in society. And all he's got are two fish and five barley loaves. He doesn't even have wheat bread. The text is very clear, he has barley loaves. Why does it say that? Because that was, uh, that was the cheap bread. That's not the stuff you get from Panera. Right? This is the day old stuff. That's all he's got. And, and it probably means this little boy was very poor. The kid with no significant social influence links up with a second string disciple and offers to Jesus the resources that Jesus needs to get his kingdom work done. Maybe it's because Andrew had heard and believed those Bible stories, like the one about Elisha when he fed 100 men with 20 barley loaves, assisted by a young servant, and had baskets full of food left over. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was the night that he spent with Jesus and really took him seriously and took Jesus to heart and all that he had. Whatever it was, Andrew got it. It wasn't about his status. It wasn't about his abilities. It wasn't about the resources that he had or didn't have. It wasn't about his social position. It was, it was about being where God wanted him to be, 
doing what God wanted him to do and bringing all that he had and all that anybody had to the availability of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of another story, a more contemporary one, a man named Alex G. So watch this video clip. Taught me a great experience of that when I was at USC. I um, was a campus minister, and for those of you who are familiar with USC, it's almost an island of wealth in the middle of South Central. My girlfriend, who became my wife, was ministering there in an after-school tutoring program, and we wanted our disciples on the college campus to learn what it meant to love and to be a part of God's mission for the poor in our city. For three years, every Tuesday night, we'd go down to Skid Row. If you go down to Skid Row to feed homeless people, there's a community of people who live in cardboard boxes, and three things will strike you. One is in the evening, there's no one else driving around. The only people that would drive around are the police officers, and they'd wonder what we're doing out at 10 p.m. with USC sweatshirts on. It wasn't exactly college football practice. Number two, the thing you'd notice is you'd be overwhelmed by the smells of the, the portable toilets. And number three, you'd, be depra- you'd see the d- depravity of people and their depression. What does it mean that God loves people and is committed to folks like that? This one evening, we had about 200 people lined up, and we had our three stations of ministry. We had our clothing station, our Gatorade station, and our peanut butter and jelly station. And as we're doing the peanut butter and jelly, I hear words that terrify me. Beth Ann from Pasadena, she has peanut butter flying everywhere. She looks at me about halfway through the 200-person line, and she says to me, John, we've run out of bread. Now, Beth Ann was a freshman didn't really know the, Mark, the story of Mark's gospel, but she quotes the disciples exactly before Jesus feeds the 5,000. We've run out of bread. It's 10 p.m., Tuesday evening, skid row, and I look around. There's no Walmart or anywhere to get bread, but I have a sense in my spirit, God is going to do something great. All of a sudden, a Lincoln Continental pulls up, pulls right behind my Honda Civic DX hatchback. I love that car. <laughs> pulls up behind me, And a short Latino man opens the door, gets out, looks me in the eye, and says, Do you need any bread? (laughs) Now, I feel like Peter on the booze. It's good that we're here, Elijah and Moses. I don't know what to say, so I say to him, Are you a baker? It gets more bizarre. He says, No, 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 I'm a shoe repairman. And he opens up his trunk, and in his trunk are two hefty bags full of loaves of bread. I asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, the Lord Jesus told me after work, I'm a cobbler in El Monte. The bakery next door delivered all these bags and I asked the Lord what to do. And the Lord Jesus told me to go to Skid Row and feed his people. Now, El Monte is 20 minutes away geographically from Skid Row. The Lord within that minute of our declaration provided bread. That night, everyone at Skid Row who wanted some brought bread. We went home with 10. There were 10 of us. It was just like the recreation. And I went home that night, and I said to the Lord, Lord, you've let me be a part of your great miracle, a recreation, the feeding of the 5,000 Los Angeles style. um, God uses a second-string disciple. God uses an impoverished little boy. God uses an El Monte cobbler to get his kingdom work done, feeding the hungry with day-old bread and the bread of life to nourish their bodies and their souls. 
Chapter 12, the last reading we did. Sometime later, again at the time of Passover, this is the last one that Jesus will celebrate with his disciples before his crucifixion. Some Greeks, probably some God-fearers who are impressed with the Jewish religion and kind of respect its traditions, they were in town for the feast. And they came to Philip and they said, Philip, we want to see Jesus. Well, Philip doesn't know what to do apparently because he goes over to Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he says, uh, you know, Andrew, what do we do? And Andrew leads them because they want to interview Jesus. They want to talk with him. They want to get to know him. And so Andrew takes these outsiders and brings them over. He doesn't say, hey, fellas, sorry, Jesus doesn't talk to Gentiles. Instead, he, brought the, he brings them to Jesus. He leads Jesus to tell all the folks, it leads Jesus to tell the folks that um, you've got to remember something. You've got to remember that um, I'm going to die someday and I'm gonna die for the entire world, including Gentiles. And then Jesus takes it up a notch, and I, I, I suspect, I don't know, maybe he comes up to, to Andrew and puts his arm around Andrew as he says to the people, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me, and then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. That is, you may not be honored or recognized by the business world, or by the media industry, or by the newspaper society page, but you will be honored by the Father. You know, if John had written his account of the feeding of the 5,000 in the same way that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had, we would never have known Andrew's role in this feeding. If John had not included this time when Andrew brought some outsiders to Jesus, we never would have known Andrew's role in being what he is now called the first foreign missionary. But I think Andrew wouldn't have minded. I think he wouldn't have minded because Jesus' words remind us of the time that when Jesus rebuked John and James, telling them that those who want to be greatest in the kingdom have to be the servants of all, not just waiters, but busboys, dishwashers. And I think Andrew took those words of Jesus to heart. But everything in our culture goes against this. Right? Everything in our culture goes against this. If a person appears on the television screen in our living rooms, if a person's name appears on corporate letterhead, if a person is, is photographed and, and, and put on the society page of the newspaper, we believe that they're important. But God has a different economy. I mean, think of a childless wanderer named Abraham. Uh, think of a single business, a homeless woman named Ruth. Think of a poor teenage girl named Mary. Or a second place missionary named Barnabas who still believed 
and a deserter named Mark. The biblical story is filled with names like that far more than it's filled with the names of celebrities and great leaders. There was a guy named Edward Kimball who was a faithful Sunday school teacher in, in Boston. He was very timid, but he had this Sunday school class and, and most of the guys in his class were Harvard college students. But in this case, um, he also had a very um, a non nondescript guy, 18-year-old farm kid who uh, had a fifth-grade education and was a shoe salesman. And, and one day, uh, Kimball believed that God wanted him to present the gospel to this, this kid who had been in his Sunday school class for some time. So he went downtown and he went to the shoe store where this, this kid was working, a kid named Dwight, and he found him. At first, he didn't go in. He was really timid. But, but he finally went in and he found him in the back and he was um, packaging up the shoes. And he asked him, he said, um, he said I, I want to tell you how much Jesus Christ loves you. He didn't know that this kid had just resolved to do something better with his life. And so he shared the gospel with Dwight. And, and he did that just as God brought a cobbler to Skid Row. Well, um, this kid named uh, Dwight Moody received the message of Mr. Kimball and, and said yes to God and, and later moved to Chicago and still was a, a salesman. But he also did what Mr. Kimball had done. He said, I'm gonna start a Sunday school class and he did. And he invited children to be part of this Sunday school class, children from the slums who were surrounded by poverty and, and prostitution and gambling and so forth. And he provided for their families coal and, and, and food and clothing. And, and this group, this, this Sunday school class increased until the church started complaining about these rowdy kids running around. So he found a non-church uh, location. And he took these kids and, and continued to minister to them until the class grew to 5,000. That's how many kids he was ministering to. Later, Moody became a full-time evangelist in the United States and overseas, eventually becoming known as the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. And then in the 1880s, he opened up the Chicago Bible Institute. That's today known as Moody Bible Institute, which has been responsible for sending thousands of missionaries all around the world. All because of one timid little Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball, who followed God's command to share the gospel with this kid. This nobody. You see, like five barley loaves and two fishes, the gift that we give to Christ can greatly multiply in its effectiveness. Andrew knew this, and that's why he's credited with being the first home missionary as well, introducing his brother Peter to Christ, which eventually led to 3,000 disciples on the day that Peter gave his altar call at Pentecost. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew was willing to be a supporting actor, a second-string disciple, playing a quiet, unsung role as long as God's work was getting done. As a result, he had this unusual ability to see value in the small, seemingly insignificant things. He knew what Mother Teresa often said. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. It's not how much you do but how much love you put in the doing 
that matters. At least uh, Andrew has a, a feast day named after him, November 30th. Remember him, November 30th. Celebrate, all right? You're supposed to do it with pancakes. I don't know. And he's also the patron saint of Greece and Russia and Scotland, honored by an X-shaped cross on the Union Jack because there's a very old tradition that he was crucified in southern Greece near Athens in the year 60 AD on an X-shaped cross. John Calvin said, each individual has his own kind of living assigned to him by the Lord as as a sort of sentry post so that he may not heedlessly wander about through life. I don't know where your sentry post is this week. I don't know that to which God has assigned you. But each one of us who is a disciple of Jesus Christ has been stationed in a neighborhood or a school or a business or a family to be an Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And just like a few loaves and fishes in the hands of an insignificant little kid with a second string disciple, just like an El Monte Latino cobbler with a couple of bags of discarded bread, just like a Sunday school teacher who had enough courage to share his faith with a nobody kid off the farm, leave church this morning knowing that no matter how insignificant you think your assignment is this week. God can do a lot with a little if he has all of it. Amen.